0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Herman Lee from Dragon Force. Here goes. Herman Lee, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast.
1: Hey, hey, yeah, yeah. 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 That, was, that was so polite. <laughs> I thought, oh my God, you know, what am I going to say? It's something so polite. I, I can only be me. Hey, thanks for having me.
0: That's okay. We're, we're happy for you to just
1: be you. Cool. You've been busy, man. Yeah, life's been busy. It's been pretty crazy. Yeah, but things been good. Um, I see you guys are busy too, obviously, with the very successful podcast. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you very much. And likewise, man, with
0: the, I mean, obviously, everybody knows about the band and the guitar playing, but the live streaming has taken off pretty impressively.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty funny. I don't know if some people can relate to this, right? As musicians, right, we don't usually, at least for me, I don't care about looking acceptable most of the days i just you know i mean my pajamas until i have to look like a human being that is be seen outside <laughs> the world for years and years and live streaming have caused it's like almost like oh shit my wife go wow you don't look like shit when i come home used to i come home you know in the office and you look like <laughs> the same when i left the house you know now it's like wow you know it have improved your life too i look kind of Instagram ready uh, <laughs> every day. You you just upgraded, upgraded to a better looking guy. It's it's funny you say that because uh,
0: you see a lot of the jokes about, you know, people who have had to work from home since the pandemic and how there's memes about like, you know, before the pandemic they look like normal people and then afterwards when they go back, now going back to work, you look like cavemen or something. You know, they don't don't wear what they used to wear, full ass beards, unkept. Whereas I think that having to do social media and streaming as part of your living requires you to give a shit a little bit more because you know people are gonna be watching at all times. It just is what it is. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let me grab my dog for a second. He's going absolutely insane because there's someone working outside in the kitchen. Your dog's awesome separation anxiety this dog he's got all kinds of problems but he's good you know he's good he's a rescue dog he can't see he's blind so everything scares him and i feel like with rescues you have to be a
0: good person to be cool to take a rescue in because there's always gonna be something some sort of a quirk that comes with with it always
1: yeah the cool thing about doing the live stream now my dogs can make it kind of look cooler you know take the attention away from me when i don't look good i just concentrate on the dogs (laughs) and you know having two rescue dogs is like getting two beat up sports cars right it's like getting two expensive sports cars that are like not looked after the bills cost more than my sports cars let's say this is like suddenly the car feels cheap compared to having two rescue dogs you know
0: (laughs) many years ago i Got a German Shepherd and I decided that I was going to get it trained and like really like do it right. And when I factored out the cost versus all that, back then I had the band van and the option was either get a real dog. They're all real dogs, but either get this German Shepherd and train it and put it through all that or get a car. And I decided to get the dog. I don't regret it, but yeah, they're expensive. If you give a shit, they're expensive.
1: Yeah, exactly. But I'm glad there are people out there that's going to, you know, take care of them. Because, you know, unfortunately, people abandon dogs when they get expensive. I don't even know how people have the heart after having a dog as a puppy or how many years and say, you know what, we're just going to let you go. Just leave it here. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad, actually, thinking about that. So, but, you yeah, know, it's all kind of people out there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is crazy. But then again, people do that to humans too, unfortunately. Yeah. So we live in a crazy world, you know. You know, I I have all kind of problem giving things away. Like I have like two hundred guitars, you know. <laughs> so maybe maybe it's part of it. There's a
0: difference between an inanimate object though and a living being. Mm-hmm. I have some guitars that I've sold some, but there's some that I'll just can't imagine getting rid of. But still, if it was between getting rid of that and getting rid of my dog, you know, take all my guitars.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, if something happens it's like take my car. Don't take my dog. I don't care. Just take my car, take my guitars. Doesn't matter. I think I won't have any regrets giving those giving those away, you know. Just especially for musicians like us, right? You know, out of how many guitars I only I only ever bought 10 guitars in my life I think 11 now I recently bought a guitar I kind of fell into the same kind of oh I'm sitting at home what am I gonna do I'm gonna buy a guitar just like everyone else in the world so I bought a guitar for the first time in 20 years it's it's pretty crazy (laughs) what inspired that I'm
0: just asking because I have this policy of never buying gear I've had that policy for years now I just uh I feel like, and I'm sure you feel you're in a similar situation. I feel like with the work that we do, you know, all three of us, we help companies sell products just by using it and showing people. So there's no reason for us to have to buy the product when we're helping them make money off of it. So I have this policy of I'm not buying gear.
1: Oh, totally. So the, what I bought is actually a 1993 Washburn. Nuno Bettencourt for Padu. Okay, you're not going to help sell that, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they don't. They need me to sell that signature guitar. Um, I always wanted one when I was young. I had a little poster. I ripped off a guitar magazine and put it on my wall. So one turned up, and it was a rare one. '93. It's well played. It sounds awesome. And I bought it from someone that I knew, so it was like a safe to get a delivery. I wouldn't really buy guitars and get it delivered, especially used guitars. You know, and it's got that mojo. It sounds absolutely phenomenal. How much that, you know, it's not a piece of wood anymore. It's a guitar after being played so long. It's almost like they've done all the work for me to play that guitar, to make it sound good. And I tell you, I let people borrow my guitars that I like because I want it to be played. I want the wood to resonate, to change, to transform into a guitar. So, yeah, I have a few neighbors around this area that's got my um, Majesty guitar it's like i like this guitar please play it for me as long as possible until it sounds even better i think um a lot of gear company music company has a, had a great deal for all these years you know giving artists like maybe two three guitars you know for two years and um, for exclusive kind of a, endorsement and then they get the brand in the music video kind of forever you know for, for for years, years to come forever. So I know what you mean about not buying gear as professionals. But do you ever feel like, well, should I cover the logo of certain guitar brands if I'm just pl- you know, playing them and not getting anything out of them? If I bought my own instrument, how do you feel about that? I don't feel like you shouldn't do
0: that. Like, why not? I mean, you're playing something that you bought and you, if you're playing it, it's because you like it. Like, why not give credit where credit's due? So, okay. So, when I was in the band, I didn't quite feel this way, but now doing the podcasts and riff hard and URM and Nail the Mix, I just feel like these platforms help companies so much. We're not like an arm of their marketing department, but could be considered that. <laughs> in some cases, I know. So, I know with Nail the Mix that we have helped put some pretty successful plugins on the map. I'm not gonna say that we did all of it, but I know that we have like helped put certain plugins that everybody uses now in the consciousness. And it's not that I wanna get paid by them or anything, but I don't think that I should have to buy the plugin, for instance.
1: I believe I listened to your podcast where you talk about endorsements and how to get endorsements. Did you do one like that? Yes. Yes. So I, I listened to that one. It's an interesting take on that. And I think the industry is changing a lot, right? So previously, look back before social media, let's say, you signing a deal with a company doing an endorsement, they promised to do some ads to promote you at the same time, like a you know, you're going to see in a guitar magazine, it maybe validate you a little bit more as an artist, especially upcomer, that you got an ad by a major company in a major publication. And that meant something. Yeah, it meant something. You go, okay, yeah, this is good. They're marketing me. They're helping me at the same time. And now I think this is important. We talk about here, actually, you know, you got a perfect podcast for this. And I'm sure a lot of people are interested in this kind of thing. Music, you know, growing up as to be musicians one day, hopefully get it to that level. And now they're looking. Well, how many social media following you got? What are you bringing to the table? So how does that work, uh, marketing wise? So I'm doing the marketing. I'm doing all the promotion. We know there are so many great guitars out there, but some no one cares about because no one big is playing them. You know, it's not like there's a secret, you know, martial arts technique you didn't learn or something. You know, to make a good gear. Of course, there's exceptional stuff, groundbreaking, but mostly people play. Your Superstrap, which is awesome, it sounds great. A lot of people can make them because the formula is out there. So now what we're looking at here is a different kind of um, transformation in the industry where they look at your YouTube following, your Instagram and everything. So I don't know, what, what are the new musicians supposed to do? Because they come to you in the end because you have a following, right? <laughs> and before, it's you, how many albums you sold? Okay, cool, that kind of thing. And now is that is not that relevant but it's more like how much Instagram you got, how much reach in each post. (laughs) But also
0: that is kind of a more modern take on it, considering the landscape we're in. Like for instance, if you have a good social following, the amount of people you can reach with one post is arguably the same amount of people that you would reach in an entire tour, right? So do you really, how important is it to be exclusive?
1: You know, um, some of you guys might know out there is I had a, I've been a signature guitar for 12 years. I Now I don't have a signature guitar. I don't endorse any brands. I play anything I want. That's what I'm saying. You know, it happened, yeah, a few years ago. It's like, why? And I learned a lot from the experience of being a signature artist, you know, getting everything I wanted to understanding that I should get everything I want now even more because- You know, Jackson released these MJ series uh, made in Japan, soloists. It's like, I want one of them. I want to play one of them. I remember the Jacksons being really cool and I got one, you know. It's like, here's an email. (laughs) And, you know, it's almost like you don't want these things to stop your creativity. A guitar is a tool, the way I look at it, to do a job. It's just like an amp, different amp. You can't say that is better than that. They're different things. A fixed bridge gonna always have more sustain than a floating bridge if everything else the same, right? You cannot fight science and physics. So being able to access so much instruments and be able to play them now on live stream has really I have learned so much. You know, live stream I play all kind of guitars, you know. When I'm on stage, I pretty much play one guitar, the same shape, everything, because that is the tool I need to do my job where I don't have to think about anything. I just my hand just go into places, right? Sliding wherever my hand is going. But at home when I'm just playing live stream on Twitch I don't care if I make a mistake because the guitar isn't perfectly fitted for what I play in Dragon Force, for doing Dragon Force music. So, um, and I learned a lot from, from that to build a ballet guitar for my stage now. You know, that comp- Twitch, I mean, I've been doing this Jason Becker fundraiser. When I had the headline headliner Marty Friedman, we had 600,000 viewers on that stream. That is so many people eyeballs on the guitars that we're playing. That's just one hour and a half live stream. <laughs> How much cheaper is that for them
0: than an ad spend? Doing a proper marketing campaign, just online ads, forget print, to get that many viewers on a series of like Facebook ads or something is gonna cost them a lot more than just giving you guys a few guitars. So just doing the math, it's way better for them to just, just give the guitars gives a fuck about exclusivity if you just look at it like a marketing cost it it's way more economical to just give people the gear i think yeah
1: i think for young artists there is that still legit thing if you're using an ibanez a esp a jackson like you're an endorser it brings something but i think if they want something from you as a young artist with that following you, you can get them all you can get a bit more from them, you know, and I learned a lot from doing the YouTube stuff as well. You know, you got Jared Dines, totally breaking, breaking ground here, having a signature guitar with Sterling, you know, Ernie Ball, um, you know, I guess he's the first kind of YouTube over legit signature guitar from a major brand. You know, doing Twitch and YouTube, I actually learned a lot from different things um, from that world. It's good. Twitch is a very hard ball to crack. You know, if you want to get into that. YouTube is a little bit more straightforward, you know doing things live is always hard, you know <laughs> for people that criticize it online saying well he wasn't that good or live on stage you or that. try doing like, well, it. go go do something live in an environment you know like the Olympics, right people talk about oh that person pulled out because of mental pressure. you try putting the weight on your shoulder of a whole country and the world looking at you <laughs>
0: yeah it's it's a lot easier said than done it's It's funny actually about the live streaming thing is the amount of people I know who have tried it and then hit me up and been like, man, I didn't realize how difficult this was. Like, I just thought you put up a camera and go. It's like, well, that's kind of it. You kind of just put up a camera and go.
1: I mean, the streaming thing, look, first there's a tech. Actually the entry, the bar entry is pretty difficult to stream in a good production, good sound, decent video. It's not easy at all and as musicians, right? Why did we become musicians? Most people tell me is because I don't want to have a day job. Be scheduled to do something each day. Well, live streaming, welcome to your fucking nightmare. <laughs> if you want to be a successful streamer, you better make a schedule and stick to it and not pull out because you got drunk or you're going drinking tonight with your friends like how musicians want to be. You know, we want to be free. We don't want to be um, held by this kind of um well day job schedule. So it's a very difficult thing. I know, you know, when the pandemic hit, everyone jumped onto live streaming and then now few remains in the end. It's it's a grind and it's not about having a big personality or whatever, you know, just about being you, but you got to find something that's going to make you be interested and want to come back each day to do it. You know, there has to be something. If you're into, okay, every day at this time, I'm going to take my guitar apart and do stuff or I'm going to do this, something, I'm going to write songs or something. Um, And you don't even know what works, you know, what what works for the audience. Just like in YouTube, I realized, well, you don't know what video works. I've made some videos which last me one minute to edit and became like a one million views. So it's just like writing songs. You might write terrible songs or good songs. Who knows? You just have to shoot material out to see what happens. You know, it's interesting about the finding the
0: thing. I know this uh, mastering engineer, uh, named Erman Hamidovich from Australia, who's, you know, does legitimate mastering work. He decided to start a streaming career sim racing. Nothing to do with music. And I mean, this is a guy that, like, wrote a successful book on metal mixing. Like, I think that he was one of the first actually to put out any education about how to properly mix uh this genre of music and you know he's a very intelligent guy. I figured if he was going to live stream it would have been something in audio, but it was in sim racing. His sim racing channel has kind of become I don't want to say his main job now, but it definitely he does better with that than with mastering. And so he's like uh he's like on a world class level with it. What I'm saying is he found that thing that kept him coming back to it and staying consistent with it. And uh, it's probably not what he had expected. Um, And that could be the case for a lot of people if they want to get into it, that they'll find that the thing that they actually are drawn to keep doing over and over and over again might not be the same thing that they thought they were going to get into it to do.
1: I feel like all three of us are in a path... In our career that we never expected in the yes. first place, right? You guys are playing professional bands and you know are awesome at it. But now we're doing podcasts. You're doing, you know, you're 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 producer. You're doing this. You do your awesome YouTube videos. You know, everyone is doing something that we never expected to be. I don't. I don't really have the personality growing up to be a live streamer youtube guy you know i'm a shy quiet person who just kept to myself and played the guitar like a nerd and didn't really care about the social aspects of life and i feel like now it's i've learned a lot i think touring playing shows have taught me a lot about socializing and interacting with people and then it's the whole live stream just kind of became its thing the twitch thing and then the youtube thing you know i don't know we picked up half a million subscribers within the pandemic you know you know to just from the one year it was like okay i didn't know people really cared about what i had to say and uh, you know i think that the story is no one knows they're even going to be a professional musician so you just have to try everything to see what what works for you but you gotta do stuff that you like right you can't be fake about it you know
0: (laughs) well i think one of the main reasons you can't be fake well there's two main reasons i think you can't be fake about it one is the audience will be able to tell but Two, you're not going to be able to stick to it long enough for it to become successful because there are people who are doing something that they care about and they're going to just keep on doing it, and you're up against those people. So you have to find something that legitimately keeps you keeps you going. And you're you're absolutely right. I, when I was playing in the band and touring. I never thought that my career was going to end up running some big educational platforms. But honestly, I feel way more at home doing this than playing in the band, strangely enough. But the thing that I've noticed is, same way that, you, like you said, you don't know that you're going to become a professional musician. Like, you don't know these things. I think part of having any success in the music world, whether it is as a performer or any other of the... Thousand jobs you could do in it uh, is a matter of rolling with the opportunities and being able to spot them and realizing when something's working and going with it. You know, it might not be the original thing you expected, but you can't. Success in music is pretty rare. It's, uh, I I think
1: that not going down paths that are successful is a bad it's a bad move I know the chance is so low why do you want to do something you don't like in something that's such a low chance you know and it. and then, unfortunately, we gotta break it to the audience. If you end up being successful, you better find a way to still love what you're doing because someone will make it unpleasant for you. Once the money comes in, oh my god, the people want to make it fucking horrible for you. Everything you <laughs> dreamed of, everything you work for, they come in here. They think they know better than you in everything, and they will take it away from you. So you gotta to learn to control it. I I feel like. Do you agree to that? I mean, yes. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's several things. One, obviously there's people who, you know, I think there's the, the most cliche thing I'll say is there's the people that are jealous, of course, so they're not happy about it. Then there's the people who want a piece of it, but don't have anything to contribute, who are just there to kind of leech off of it. And then there are people who, it's weird. They feel a connection to it, but they also feel this weird ownership over it, like they have a say in it. And then there's people who just have really bad opinions. <laughs> so it comes at you from several different angles. And I do think you need to figure out a way to build a wall to basically shield yourself from it. Uh, because it can be, if you don't have that wall up uh, or that armor, it can be psychologically damaging for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, it's difficult though, because I think um, being an artist or the creative side, doing the business is like, can be pretty painful, you know getting your mind to I feel like those two minds, they don't work together very well. You know, this like a lot of the times they're super talented. I mean, I know some super talented guitar player and damn, the uses are getting to, to do something in time or <laughs> having something organized. They're like, no shit. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to name anybody even though I've named them on my Twitch quite a lot.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, we all know them. They're probably the same people.
1: And they are absolutely amazing at the instrument. I wish I could play like them. I feel like even though you don't want to do it, in order to preserve your art, your creation, you have to learn the business of the whatever you're doing. Because without knowing the business, that's when they come for your art, when they tell you how to do it. Because, oh, if you do that, your business is going to be better. If not, you're going to fail and it's going to go down. And. You know, they say whatever to keep them leech onto you, right? And by knowing this, knowing the business, you say, well, actually, I don't think so. You can do some research. And luckily, you know, with these days with the computers, everything, and phones, people can actually do things. I can understand in the 80s where there's no way you can manage yourself and be in a band, right? There's no cell phone. There's no computer laptop. How are you going to do business? Now we can do it. And now I manage Force as well. A few years ago, I took the management back. You know, I managed the band up to, 2006 you know the release of um our inhuman rampage album and then it got really busy and i couldn't really do it i thought and especially you know for someone that didn't have any management experience in a band you know you go okay well i guess these guys know better than me i mean and i wanted to go get drunk and get laid so <laughs> and i'm happy i did it you know no regrets are ah, super fun and you were on the tour that was a good tour with us at that time that was that was fun you know we partied every single night you know there's no no stopping us there at all i remember that was a really good time good times i know but that's about all i remember (laughs) that's that's good that's good uh that's what you want to remember right the good times so yeah the music business um now there's enough stuff out there to learn to you know do your own things and i think um guitar player or anything creative people go go learn about it just You don't have to be an expert, right? You don't have to be the superstar manager, but knowing the basics and knowing how things work will be a, will be good, you know? First of all, I agree with you,
0: but there are some musicians out there who are just incapable of business. <laughs> yes. And they need to partner with the right people or they will have no career. They could be artistic geniuses. I mean, we know these types that are just... Phenoms on the instrument, or just like the most genius writers, but for whatever reason, you know, they got their brain. You know, they got hundred percent of the of the brain power when it comes to the music, and zero percent of the brain power when it comes to real life. And they need the help. They, they will literally have. They might be homeless if they don't have the business help. And uh, and so, no amount of information on the internet. Or technology is going to help them run a business well, and for those people, I really do think it's important for them to get the right manager, or at least get in a band with someone who does know the business really well, or at least get with a label that has you know morals. Uh, they're out there. Not all labels are evil. So, uh, some there is an element of the business I think that is very important. It's just there are a lot of artists who are smart entrepreneurs, and they don't need you know they don't need a manager. But that's not everybody.
1: Yeah, and then you got the the social media is like the manager. Is he going to be the social media expert? I mean, what's going on here? Because the industry changing so quickly. Right, it's almost like a young people game soon, it is the way it's changing so fast. It's like sports, it's like after a certain age, you might be terrible with you don't know what TikTok is anymore. You know, that new thing that came out, that new social media, that is the trend to jump on. What is it? The labels hopefully will be able to help you with that with the right person. They got they always have someone you know on the cutting edge or looking out, out for that. But I think a, a good balance, hopefully, depends on personality. And I know incredible artist that's been extremely lucky and had the great manager, of course. And there has been also the other side as well, right? That has um, put people um, in a not not the position you want to be in.
0: You know, when you're on the business end, you can't put 100% of your effort into every single thing you're doing. You only have limited time. You only have limited energy. You only have limited resources. So you have to decide, what am I going to focus on? You know, if you're Roadrunner Records, obviously, you're going to focus on Slipknot, and Nickelback first. And then everybody else is going to come next. And that's not, it has nothing to do with how they feel about anybody. It's just, of course, they're going to focus on Slipknot and Nickelback first. Wouldn't you? I would. So absolutely. And obviously the same is true with managers and booking agents and anybody artists should understand that going in. So yes, I do think they should know enough about the business so that they can help with people who they're working with that don't see them as priority A because you might be priority C or priority D and there's nothing you can do about that and it's not because anybody has any nefarious plot or intention towards you it's just you know my band was probably priority F on roadrunner <laughs> which is or or lower you know priority Z but uh but it's uh it is what it is. It never bothered me because I understood, well, look, there's a hierarchy here. Obviously the people who sell more are going to get more priority. So it's my job to make up for where they're not going to like in with, with a manager that manages way bigger artists. Yeah. They may like my band, but they're definitely going, first of all, the bigger artist is going to have more shit going on. So they're going to be taking up more of their time. Uh, They're going to be taking up more of their resources and mental energy. So I need to do more of the job as well. And I need to help them do their job so that I don't become a nuisance. And I think a lot of younger artists don't understand that hierarchy. And so when they get on a bigger label or they get with a really good manager who has other artists, they'll, and then they don't get that priority attention. They start to think that they're getting screwed over but they're not getting screwed over. They just don't understand that they're, they're at the entry level here and there's no way that they can get that kind of attention that the a level priority is going to get. And so they need to come to the table with information and with a little bit of direction to help their business team make choices. I think it's my opinion, at least.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i know i had some people that said to me oh once you sign like the machine works itself no <laughs> you become the machine that work for you you know for eternity um yeah it's 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 it's. You not know, the logical brain right um and being young sometimes you don't understand these things you know you just care about going out and doing it and you think you created this song that everyone needs to listen to it um it's like, we, you know, we're getting older now. We, we, had, we can look back and relate to things that we thought, oh, maybe we could have done better. And in 10 years time, we thought maybe we should have said the right things here on this podcast or, you know, or whatever <laughs> we said now. Maybe what we said now is re- irrelevant, but. You know what I mean? It's like people hold on to um, actually just off topic. People sometimes hold on to what you say 10 years ago, which is like, okay, that was 10 years ago when the world was a certain way. Now it doesn't work anymore. And the business is changing, right? So, you know, I, I have kind of a log- logical brain and Sam Totman, you know, who also plays in Dragon Force, the guitar. I used to get so angry of him when he doesn't reply to me on time. He doesn't get back to me. His phone is always on silence. You know, it doesn't vibrate. It's on silence, you know, unless he sees it, he, you, you can't get to him. And now I realize, you know what? He, he played in the band to not deal with any of that shit. And he's an awesome songwriter, awesome musician. And now I accepted it as like, okay, I don't expect a reply from him. When he replies to me about something, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is great. But, <laughs> you know, you got to do your, your thing. And he's expecting me to handle all the business now, you know, to deal with people. They have something in their brain. It's like I didn't, I I didn't buy a phone to be a slave of the phone or social media. So they just actually, I'm the dumb one to be honest. It's like I'm doing all that. I'm the slave of like how many emails coming in, and he's just just out in the countryside.
0: I was uh, thinking, I got a, a text from my girlfriend and responded immediately. It was like, I hope she doesn't think that I'm sitting around waiting for her text <laughs> it's just my job requires me to be here in front of a screen all day every day and i part of my job is trying to respond to people quickly because in music people don't respond quickly <laughs> so one of the things that i try to do differently i understand we're not we shouldn't be slaves to our phones but at the same time i make the decision to try to get back to people fast in order to be different than a lot of people in music who don't get people to fast, get back to people fast because it gives me gives me an advantage. I think so. I think that if you make the choice to okay, I'm going to be one of those people that actually responds, you're already ahead of a lot of people. And uh, showing up to you know showing up to Zoom calls and shit, that's like uh, it's a big one.
1: You know, previously before I became a professional musician, before Dragon Force took off and Finally, um, I was working in IT as a computer technician doing server system administration. And I thought, you know, it was a dream, right? I mean, I never thought I'd become a professional guitar player. But it was like, oh, it would be a nice thing. Then I can stop sitting in front of my computer all day. (laughs) Wow, I spend way more time on the computer now. Full circle. Doing, you know, yeah, live streaming stuff, videos, recording music. You know, the whole thing, right? It's just, luckily I like computers, so it's not even a, a problem. And, you know, I had many awesome dreams that came true, having my signature guitar. Now I get, you know, f- you know then you're getting free gear, right? It's like, wow, this is awesome when you're younger. Oh my God, I get free gear everywhere. This is awesome. Now I get free computers and stuff and video games and everything. Um, I just need free cars and hopefully that's done. But it's never over, right? The influencer, I know it sounds like a dirty word for musicians sometimes. Oh, he's an influencer, he's not a guitar player. Oh no, he's not (laughs) that. He hasn't released how many, I played in front of how many people. (laughs) You hear that sometimes, that being the influencer opens up so much more possibilities than being a guy in a band, unfortunately. So, um, you know, I think the pandemic is is a wake up call for a lot of musicians that didn't want to evolve. I feel like maybe it's also a wake up call as well, you know, in this whole thing, you know, the world slowed down. Now you can look at your, your life. Is it worth going out on tour? How much fees are we, how much am I paying to go on tour to make money? You know, like, okay, I'm paying the agent 10% of the gross manager, 15 to 20%. I've got the business, business accounting guy, another 10% on the top. I got a split between the band I'm paying for the crew I'm paying for everyone's drinking, eating, lodging yes, if you're drinking beer it's on me dude, no problem get fucked up after the show dude (laughs) you know what am I left with in the end you know it's good to look at that
0: what's interesting to me about that is when you're a business owner it's the same thing that you're paying all these things for people first before you get paid the difference is That you're not uh, risking your life every night and ruining your personal life and your health. Not to say that there's not a cool element of touring, uh, because there sure is. Like, it's a lot of fun. And like you said, you don't regret the cool stuff from it. But I think that there's only so long that that stuff is cool if you're coming back with very little for it. But I mean, that is kind of the same as like owning a business is you have to pay for shit first. You can't just pay yourself and then, you know, not pay your employees or not pay the accountant or something. I made like zero in my band net, you know, over the years. Like at the end when it was over, like I literally, no, actually it was like minus a lot.
1: Yeah. I was thinking zero. That's pretty good. I mean. <laughs> no, 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 no. I
0: Sorry. I That minus a a whole lot. I've made up for it several times over now, and none of this would have been possible without that. So I do think, and I was thinking this back in the band actually too, because we would tour with bands that were a lot bigger than us every time, because we wouldn't want to tour with bands smaller than us. That would be terrible. (laughs) And we would share buses with them or just hang out with them. And I was thinking to myself, these guys are not taking advantage of this opportunity that they have to springboard. What are they going to do when their band is over? Because I guarantee you that most of these bands that are bigger than us, they're not going to be around in 15 years or something, which is true. Most of them aren't, but, uh, you know, some are, but most aren't. Or at the very least, not every one of these players is even going to be in music in five years. And that was absolutely true it was very few people that i encountered on tour in these bigger bands that were taking advantage of this amazing platform kind of like what you said about you know being an being an influencer opens you up to so many opportunities well more than being in a band however before influencing was even a thing like you know the late 2000s like 2010 like those years being in a successful band Brought so many opportunities, and most of the guys in the bands literally did zero with that zero. And so, when they left the band, they would have nothing literally, nothing They'd be delivering pizza the next year. And you know, I, I respect anybody that works, it's a huge downgrade in career going from a band that's like you know, playing and headlining 1,500 to 2,000 cap rooms to delivering pizza when it didn't have to be that way. If they had taken advantage of that, uh, that platform and that opportunity that they had. And so I always viewed music as something where you should establish multiple income streams and you should always be looking for how you can evolve things, no matter what size your project is. And so like, when you say that, like, yeah, what we're all doing now is only possible th- because of what we've done as performers. Like, yeah, I completely, completely agree. And it uh, always bummed me out that I didn't see more very capable, very intelligent musicians taking advantage of that. Cause I always thought, man, if the guys in my band can do this, you can certainly do this because your band is 10 times bigger than my band. Like, people actually care about your band. They don't give a fuck about mine. And we're all making a living, uh, not from the band, but we're making a living off of opportunities that are coming to us through the band. Why are we doing better than you? And that always weirded me
1: out. I guess it's because they didn't need to. Yeah, they thought it would last forever. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, I'm doing good now. Why, you know, it's, um, it's, it's tough to see what you're going to do, you know, the time you're going to spend. What are you going to use that time for? And I can relate to, you know, the minor situation. When we released our second album, we went on tour. Um, We did it before that, before the release of the second album, we were on tour in Japan with Halloween. That was awesome. Then we did tour in Europe for two months. And after all that, we came back. There was a royalty statement came in. What do you think? Okay, I'll give you guys, you guys get to guess. How much do you think royalties I got after those tours in 2004? 78 cents after all that my royalty bill was minus minus seventy 000 euro holy shit <laughs> yeah and i thought okay well i guess this will be a hobby for life i love playing guitar this is what i do i enjoy it. i go out go on tour have fun so you see the opportunity was there was have fun this is the moment i don't want to sit there on my phone on my computer just Thinking about business, business. I have a day job. I go home. I work my computer stuff. Fucking great. You know, go out. I mean, th- at that time, 2004, you thought, no chance. I'm, I'm going to make 70,000 euros to pay back the record label. You know, this is just zero. So, I mean, when we released our third album, I mean, the money started coming in. I was I was just in shock. The accountant said, you guys got to come up here. You know, you guys getting paid. I go, what? I mean, it's, it's even stupid to say that I work literally for 6 7 years without getting paid to do music you know it was you just investing having fun so i always looked at music as a fun thing and later on i think as you get older or your career the path changes you look at different avenue but you know it's hard to say what what is the opportunity um, we're looking at here now things are good the opportunity of doing twitch wasn't about money any of it wasn't about money to be honest twitch i just did it because i thought oh I'm, I'm into gaming that's my thing i'll do it and then later on i mean three years down the line i i used it not just to you know for fun but we actually used it for good i raised i think we had about five hundred and forty thousand dollar raise for jason becker for his you know, for his ALS treatment. That's amazing. I started the campaign in February. So that's like, you know, I guess a five months campaign to use my reach of Twitch, my Instagram, my YouTube, do videos, all that, to raise that money for someone, you know. Of course, along with all the amazing guitar players that came and helped me um, do that. There's there's something good you can get out of in the end. You just don't know what's going to come to it.
0: I I just feel like, you know, what's funny is like when you get questions from listeners lots of times you get the what's the best tour story you know we can't say that (laughs) yeah you you know that there's no there's no way in hell that the best tour story is ever gonna make it on a podcast
1: i know let me pick a mildly acceptable story to tell you all right you know oh me oh shit that was just my example of what i tried to do (laughs) I don't really know. I mean, I just... That's what, that's what I'm saying. I just thought of some crazy stuff while you guys talk about it at some flashback, but I'm not going to talk about that at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> zero chance, especially in this world now. It's just like... Of course not. <laughs> yeah, I know. Now you ask people, what's your favorite YouTube stories? Like, mm? I don't know. I sat and edited the video. or <laughs> Twitch, you know, Twitch stories where well, you saw the whole thing live. You know, you're part of my life now. Question, though,
0: thinking back on all those times, do you think that that's sustainable?
1: Absolutely not. Exactly. If you want to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The whole reason Dragon Force even started is we wanted to go out and have fun. That was it. We loved playing shows, and we had no interest of being professional musicians ever. We just thought... We never thought we were even good enough. You know, we're not... And I still don't think I'm a great guitar player. It's like, oh, well, I can do... What I love to do and that's it. That's good enough for me. You can look around on the internet. There's never a time where we actually said we're a good guitar player. Or like we're awesome or better than anyone else. It was just having fun and we carry on doing it. We still have fun, but we became we turned the fun around, right? The professionalism have to make a better show became a fun thing too. You know, the last tour we did before the pandemic stopped it is, you know, we designed this new stage show ourselves. We didn't pay someone to, you know, get the ideas to be so it's authentic, right? Um, we had these giant arcade machines we go doing guitar battles on. We had special guests coming on doing solos. We had like Tosin Abbassi on it. We had like Tim Henson. We were gonna get Michelangelo to do guitar battle when we got to Chicago, but it the tour stopped by then. You know, we made that we got that dragon made that shoot stuff, shoot lasers out of the eyes. That was like our fun thing as well now. We constantly instead of just getting drunk, we go out and do stuff fun stuff for our show we had the huge led screen we bought this massive led screen and i did all the programming for the for that the screen of the music and sam did the arcade machine himself you know cutting the wood and making it we build our own stage i i, I remember seeing children of Bodham. they had like a bar they're like a cool bar on stage and i'm on them off they have these cool things as well so we thought you know we need our dragon force nerd Theme stuff that we love so giant arcade machines dragons shooting lasers and you know all kind of stuff like that it was like we took a like an arena production into a club tour
0: (laughs) how did you transport
1: it well we have two dragons one in north america and one in the uk (laughs) so you can't bring that thing around let's have two um we got four arcade machines two giant ones in the north america in the u.s and two two in the uk yeah when you say giant what do you mean,
0: like how giant?
1: They're not like your normal game arcade machine. They're just like three times bigger. So you, you go up the stairs on it. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, they got like <laughs> different games, like old games. They kind of switch around, synchronize the background LED wall that, you know, for different songs um, that we have. So sometimes you've got kind of retro games. Sometimes you've got different kind of games that relate to this kind of music.
0: Am I remembering correctly
1: that you guys had trampolines on the tour that we did? <laughs> yes we had trampoline a long time ago we jump on them do solos we had this ramp and one of the song that's last 10 minutes and when it got to solo sections about three minutes so we have to go to the back rank like in circle like front back run in circle until you play solos when you play solos you're allowed to stop when you're not playing you have to keep running in circle so it's like we stop at different <laughs> point it's like part of the fun thing it's it's like Yeah, so we know now we evolved into more kind of a high tech gaming kind of a setup with the technology we have. Do you think
0: that that fun element um, is part of why playing the genre you guys play, which is like pretty much like power metal oriented, got as big as it did in the U.S. Because that genre is not really popular in the U.S. Like you don't see crowds like that for that kind of music in the us it just doesn't happen but also you like bands that are more from that scene aren't always that much fun (laughs) so do you think that's part of it
1: i think so you know when we played on stage our personality just is like our normal selves right you know we don't act a certain way we dress in our own way so it's kind of a mess you know, it's like I want to dress my way. I want to dress my way. We don't have like a uniform where everyone dress in black or anything like that. Just like what we do on stage. And having, I think, having that difference, people kind of got into it. You go to Dragon Force show, you have a good time. That's that's what it's about. It's not trying to be tough and be seen around. You know that kind of. Sometimes you have that in the metal scene. You just, you know, and it's it's not. And you don't have to be just a metal fan to be into it. You know, you can be into gaming, you listen to a bit of metal, you listen, you know, you come for, for a different kind of experience. And there's the visual part now as well. That's, you know, we just like being with the time, you know, you use what, the cost of doing that would have been so much more 10 years ago. You know, the LED screen, everything is like insane, right? Those things. And we bought our own one, you know, that's, you kind of like adjust to different venues. And being ourselves, I, I feel like, um I remember someone said, um, I think he was in the band, what was he in? I think Bleeding Through, I think maybe one of the guitar players from that or another band, I can't remember. He said to Sam in the band at that time, we're sitting together with a drink. He said, man, Sam, I wish I can be like you. Just go on tour, get drunk, have fun, do what the hell you want and do not care about anything. <laughs> we're here for the experience as well. You know, you know, we talk about business earlier and everything, how important it was but at the end of the day we came for the experience people you know we play in dragon force because we love to be going out there playing music and you can't just strip it away too much and with business sometimes it gets gets lame yeah it's it's like you said it's like
0: this uh fine line that as a musician you kind of have to walk because both of those sides of what you have to do aren't you know they they're not always compatible but I, I do remember that about Sam. I remember thinking, man, this guy gives no fucks and he's really fucking cool.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I love the guy, even though we're like, a, we're like a married couple, loveless marriage, I would say, me and him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no sex, no love, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> long
0: marriage. Okay, so all this said, what role does guitar play in your life now?
1: it's still the primary thing the reality is this no one can play the guitar for me in the end but they can set up my computers they can do business for me i stress the importance of practicing and learning and improving because the more you know the worse you feel about your guitar playing right no isn't that sad dunning-kruger effect unless you you're one of those people that think you're so great but most likely you're a singer in that case (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding for the singers out there, or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I switch a little bit of my routine. So what have I learned from practicing guitar these days, while still having to do YouTube, managing the band, and do Twitch? Is I shift a lot of it into my Twitch channel, playing the Dragonforce songs, practicing them. I did. Re- I recorded our last album, Extreme Power Metal, kind of on Twitch on the live stream. So that's I did like 90% of my guitar solos live in front of people. Mistakes and all? Yeah, absolutely, I do six hour session here. And you got some balls. You know, people were talking shit about me for like years, is that I can't play my solos, like I'm just gonna fucking record it in front of you guys, you know? Dude,
0: okay, so first of all, I can confirm that you can play your solos.
1: Well, we had one shit gig on YouTube and that's people remember that, you know, when we were like, when we couldn't hear ourselves.
0: I remember there were a couple nights, like we didn't see you guys every night, but I because um, we were partying a lot of the time. But I do remember <laughs> there were a few times where me and the other guitar player were like, holy shit, Herman is on fire right now. There were a few times. So like, yeah, I can confirm you actually can play your solos.
1: So I'm just like a normal human being. Some
0: nights are good, some nights aren't.
1: Some nights are not as good. Um, sometimes you have a bad one. It's, it's, you know. And on Twitch, I, you know, last few nights I've been doing improvisation. I just pick a random backing track off YouTube and just improvise on the spot, you know, which is actually great because I never get to play like this, this kind of stuff um, on um, doing a Dragonforce show. You see a different side of me and I learned to practice my ear, ear training, kind of pretty much everything. And the last, you know, I was talking about the Jason Becker fundraiser that was probably my ultimate challenge in playing the guitar. Because so here's a story in a short way is the friends of Jason Becker came up to me because he needed to sell his guitars, you know, to raise some funds. You know, time's been tough, the pandemic. And they said, can you play these free guitars? Hopefully we'll raise the value. We get some famous guitar players, have some hands on, on to Jason Becker's guitars. And people that don't know Jason Becker is a, I mean, he's an incredible he was a prodigy, right, at 16 and 17. He was doing stuff that you couldn't even imagine. Even now, people have problem doing it. And he, he was diagnosed with ALS when he was 19. So for 30 years, he's been sitting on a chair pretty much and writing music with his eyeball and a computer. So I thought, okay, how can we do this to raise money for Jason Beckett? They hope to sell the guitars maybe for 20000 each if we're lucky after we get some famous players to play it. So I said, okay, look, I got this reach on Twitch and YouTube. I've done a lot of fundraising thing for like charity on Twitch. So I'm going to try to do a model using Twitch. I did some stuff with Steve Vai, the Jamathon thing, where he was jamming for three days with different artists. and Three days straight? Well, the jam never stops, but he plays for six hours. It's Steve Vai, so I have to ask if
0: it was three days
1: straight. (laughs) Um, he got replacement when it's time to go to sleep and eat. Okay. So, yeah. And I thought, I'm going to combine this with Twitch during a live stream, especially now everyone's at home. I mean, what are we going to do? Let's try to raise the value of these guitars by telling people about the story of Jason Becker, how it's inspiring that someone living with ALS for 30 years, he's now the longest living one after the scientist Stephen Hawking died um, with ALS. So let's do it. And... One of the challenges I set up is this: we need the whole guitar community to do this. It's not about me; it's about raising money for Jason. So I got a bunch of players to come and jam with me on Twitch in real time, live in front of people. So the last few months, I've been jam- I jammed with Alex Skolnick, Andy Timmons, Michael Angelo, Paul Gilbert. I mean, the list is just insane: Bumblefoot, Marty Friedman. I had to do real time jamming with these guys, improvising, and. It was. I learned so much by playing with guitar players so good. You know, it's about. Yeah, I remember Steve Lukather. He said. He said once in an interview. You know, I used to hang out with people better than me on the guitar, so I can learn stuff. So, um, I. You know, that wasn't my goal, but I got to learn so much cool stuff hanging with these guys that have transformed my understanding of the guitar too. I was doing these jams already. like, I had special guests coming on my Twitch three, four times a month, you know, I already did that with Tosin and other people. But this time, we, you know, I took it like every week I had three or four guests. My fingers were falling apart, you know. We would jam, not two songs, but we did like two hours jam with some players, like just, <laughs> you know. That, dude, that's that's intense. Yeah, here you go. That's another d- backing track. What are we doing? We're doing fusion. We're doing, we're doing, what, flamenco. We're doing rock. We're doing metal. We're doing gen, whatever backing track. That's pretty much, I'm still about the guitar. I'm not just there doing weird challenges with YouTubers who are like way younger than me. <laughs> we sold the guitars in the end, check this out for Jason Becker's guitars. And they're not the best guitars in the world, right? We got this hurricane guitars. They're pretty they're not a big good brand. 000, eighty five thousand dollars, eighty thousand and sixty five thousand dollar. So Jesus, that's dude. how much they sold for. Yeah. Joe Satriani donated the guitar that we sold for, I think 60,000, Paul Stanley donated guitar, Steve Vai. I mean, the list went on, you know, there was, um, and, and you know, when we're doing the Twitch stream, people can donate money on the spot. So we're doing like a telethon thing. People are throwing in like hundred dollars here and they all go to Jason completely. What a great cause, seriously. Yeah, it's great to see the guitar community coming together as well. You know, this was the time. You know, everyone's at home. No one was on tour. It was, you know, they could they could come and do it.
0: Okay, so you said that you were not playing with the you know necessarily like the younger Twitch streamers. You're playing with a lot of classics, a lot of what I would consider institutions. A lot of those guys are institutions. Do you feel though, like the in some ways, not in every way, but that in some ways, this new generation of guitar players are kind of mind-blowing?
1: Oh, absolutely. I should have mentioned them. Yeah, they're absolutely mind-blowing. So we did have the new generation too.
0: Like the Jason Richardsons of the world.
1: Jason Richardson, of course. Tosin, we had them. and Tim Hansen came. He was showing me how to do groovy shit. I mean, I learned a lot from him. And we had The Do, who is a huge YouTuber. And Cole Roland as well, another amazing talent on YouTube. So we, you know, I pretty much went... YouTube, new generation to the old classic rock star legends, or you know, like across the board, right? Instrumentalists, metal people. It was fun. I had to adapt to their playing styles and learn. Also, they're not all jammers.
0: So I think that that's interesting too is how do non-jammers jam?
1: It was very interesting, you know, because they get to choose the backing tracks, right? I kind of give them a list of a As much different stuff, and they choose. I'm not good at all the styles, I'm not like the GIT guitar guy that plays jazz, fusion, be pop, and all that. So, um, it was you know just doing my best, and I think throwing it out there and telling fans that are watching that you know improvising, playing guitar, it's about taking risk at the same time. You gotta take risks, you gotta throw it out there, you gotta make those mistakes to learn. I know a lot of people don't want to make those mistakes in front of other people. They feel like, you know, well, the internet is cruel. You know, they they have no mercy on in comments. But you know what? This is the time to build that thick skin because and when you do make it out there, you want to be ready for them to come for you.
0: <laughs> do you think you know you were talking about earlier how uh you know you got in a lot of hate online or, you know, you've just got You've dealt with it for a while. Do you think that that is part of what gave you the ability to just do jams like these and
1: put yourself in uncomfortable
0: situations and just what just go for it? Mm.
1: You know, to be honest, doing Dragon Force, everyone hated us for years. They thought this kind of music with guitar solos is stupid. You know, they said, why are you guys playing solos? It's gone. It's done. <laughs> so it didn't matter on that one so much. I think that one of the biggest challenge on those jams is playing on live stream. Something that is a separate skill that needs to be practiced and learned. It's totally different than playing on stage. It's like doing guitar videos for magazines. It's like, it was such a nightmare for me. I was never confident when it was like, it's, you know, guitar magazines, they want you to magically bring something out of the bag and say you play it perfectly while warming up, you know?
0: Dude, Badger Can't Play This has to be one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life.
1: I got one of the worst ones out there. It's almost a joke because I had like, we were completely hangover that day and we had no idea that we, we were even supposed to do that. They just kind of caught us on the spot and said, we do this column called this. And I thought, well, I haven't looked at Guitar World magazine for like 10 years. I don't know what it is, but play something difficult. We played something that wasn't even very difficult and badly. Um, and there it is. <laughs> and there it is. It's there forever. I didn't even know, you know... Um, so, you know, you have to be prepared for these things now. You know, we learned from the experience. If we knew everything then, you know, what's the point of living? The challenge was um, learning how to do live stream and playing in front of people where you only see words going down, you know, in a chat. At the beginning of my live stream time period, I I would delete any of the videos of me playing the guitar afterwards. I don't want people to look at it again because I know it wasn't perfect You know, I'm playing songs that I haven't practiced, but fans are asking for. I haven't played them on tour for six years, but I'll do my best, you know, for that. I know you're probably going, why the hell is Herman doing that? Why is he exposing that we're not like a machine that remembers everything? Because, you know, you go watch a band live and they're like playing, playing it perfectly. You go, oh my God, this is a superhuman, but doesn't mean he can play his old discography you know, off its head. You need to practice this as a jam, the band. And later on, I said, you know what? What is Twitch? What is live streaming? It's about the fans connecting with the artist to see the real you. What are you about? Are you, maybe it's more inspiring to show someone our imperfection, and how we overcome it to get to where we are now. Um. So it's totally exposed, you know, I'm just recording the album that all happened. And I learned from the experience of doing YouTube, doing videos, doing actually live stream more importantly. And so by then, by the time I did those jams, I already did um, jams with different artists already. I already had a bunch of guests. It was like a normal thing that I worked out how to do remote jam while still being in time for the audience to hear.
0: You know, another difference I think is live, people might not even hear a mistake.
1: You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, there's someone pushing you behind or you're having a beer. There's some, This little They're listening to on tiny computer speakers or little speakers at home. You hear every single note wrong. Everything. And it's immortalized, right? It's recorded. It's on the internet. People can clip it, put it on, whatever. So there's that challenge for musicians. Another challenge about live streaming that didn't exist before, right? I mean, the phone camera is still not perfect, but damn, you're getting an in-line recording of me playing the guitar to to the songs. Scary. You know, for me, for doing guitar solos, for me, I played so many guitar solos, right? It's like they all sound like, I don't know if this is good enough. Sometimes having fresh ears, an audience there, they understand your music and have heard your albums a million times, probably more than you, telling you this is good. You go, I'm going to keep that take because sometimes you're on your own. Me, I just keep going and going, going, going forever. It's like, I don't know if this is good enough. Yeah. And you're creating that magic at the same time you know with them it's um i think it's pretty special so we ended up you know launching the album release on the day of release playing twitchcon it's kind of perfectly aligned with the with the whole thing do you think part of getting good at
0: streaming once you nail the tech does require dealing with your nerves oh yeah the nerves getting those under control
1: yeah it's- It is hard to play the guitar in front of people with just a camera staring at you.
0: The only way to overcome that is to do it too. Like you can't practice that. I mean, you practice it by doing it, but you can't simulate that on your own. Like it's, even if you were to record yourself, you know, just with a camera, not streaming, it's not the same as once you go live. It's just not the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see me scratching my balls and pulling my underwear, you know? That's the bonus. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Uh, but yeah, you it's like you can do your rehearsal all day long. When you go out on tour, the first show will not go according to what you think is going to go. I'm a little bit autistic, I've been told. Is I didn't even think about some of these things. So um, we had to get a bass player to play the last tour. The first, the, when we released the album Extreme Power Metal, which was September 2019... That's before the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had to get a bass player to play the shows and do TwitchCon. Um, that was the launch of the show. And TwitchCon is broadcast. We have half a million viewers again for that show, you know, live stream around the world on the front page of Twitch. It's insane. Um, we, we did the opening ceremony for TwitchCon. So I got uh, the YouTuber, Stevie T, Steve terryberry to play the bass. He pulled out in the end you know and now i look at it and i thought what what what, why did i even ask him that is such a bad thing to do he obviously liked dragon force you know i've been talking to him before you know doing youtube stuff stuff and i didn't think about how much pressure that actually is to go and learn all these songs go on live stream to play a gig like this and then you still go on tour and he has never played a live show before Um, he's you know very successful on youtube yeah but it's not the same it's not the same i didn't even think about it because it's like i've been playing for years i can't be that hard it's bass you just play a few chords here it's driving for songs they all sound the same come on you know how hard can it be you know if you don't get to that chord go to the other one (laughs) but i didn't think about it so sometimes you still forget about these things um or at least me i just don't realize that and then when I finally realized, oh, you know what, fair enough. You know, I should have never put that on him to ask in the first place. Of course, he said yes. Yeah. At the beginning.
0: It is a ton of pressure. You know, uh, what we're talking about now, you know, even though a lot of the listeners don't have these types of situations to contend with, like playing on the front page of Twitch or anything like that, 500,000 viewers, What? they do have though is the fear of even starting in the first place like even in front of two viewers a lot of people just don't start because of those same feelings of fear that we're talking about that we would still experience now but you know we do what we do anyways like those feelings still exist i think that as you get as you go along you just learn to I mean, they're not as strong as they used to be, but you also just learn to put them aside and do the thing anyways. But uh, I think that the lesson or the uh, the thing I hope a lot of listeners walk away with is that if they want to do something like this, they should just start because there's no way to get to the good streams without doing the bad ones first. Like they're going to suck at the beginning and it's going to be scary and it's going to be uncomfortable. And there's no way to get around that because you can't rehearse it. So you just have to do it and uh, and just trust that eventually, if you do it enough, it's just going to get better. And don't worry, no one's even watching at first, so who cares?
1: <laughs> yeah, this is definitely something I've learned now. You know, my takeaway on this whole thing, what I've learned so far is this. And I, I never thought I would say it years ago. You know, I always wanted every all my playing to be perfect. I don't want people to hear it unless it's perfect. Is do not let perfection stop you from creating any art, any music form. If it's doing a piece of work, piece of art, writing a song, or doing a U- video on YouTube, it, don't let perfection stop the creativity. Just go out there and make it. Learning is fun too. You know, look back and you you learn something. Is um, is uh, achieving something, you know, makes you makes you feel better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is a good place
0: to uh, end the episode. Herman, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been awesome catching back up with you and congratulations on everything.
1: Thank you so much for having uh, me. I love what you guys are doing, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, awesome what you guys are doing and you guys definitely contributing to the music world another way than just, you know, writing music, you know. So, um, I think we need content, stuff like that, that you guys are doing. So great job. Thank you so much for having me.
0: appreciate it.